0: Who thought there could be breaking news on a Tuesday? But hey, if we record our podcast, there almost always is. First, the bad news from Pre. The Athingmo-Keely Hodgson showdown is off. Athingmo out of the Prefontaine Classic. Also, Matthew Sindrowitz, no longer running the Bowerman mile. He looks like he's in real trouble. Shelby Houlihan was never running Pre, but she's issued a statement that is now out. Check that out on lunchrun.com. Good news Trayvon Vermel is now in the men's 100 meters final event at this year's pre classic. Trayvon Vermel, Christian Coleman, Andre DeGrasse, Fred Curley, Noah Lyles, and the high schooler, Arian Knight. Should be a great one. Originally, I wasn't going to be breaking news right now. I was going to be telling you about a product we talked about last year. It's now even better. In the mail right now to yours truly is an airwave endurance performance mouthpiece. Airwave, yes. These are the makers of the mouthpiece that directs your tongue down and increases your airway opening up to 25%. That means increased endurance by reducing your respiratory rate by up to 20%. Faster recovery times because your cortisol buildup is reduced up to 50%. It sounds almost too good to be true, but Airwave resulted in an immediate 28.5% respiratory rate reduction during a steady state run. There is peer reviewed research on this by Dr. Dina Garner, head of the research at the Citadel, and Airwave is getting big now in endurance. Yes, the endurance model is on its way t- to be now. They didn't used to have this, it's a new model. They're now a supporting partner of USA Triathlon. Check it out yourself. You can try Airwave and save a special 10% because you're a fan of this podcast, link in the show notes, go to airwave.com slash L-R-10. That's airwave, dot com slash L-R-10. Check it out with a link to the studies as well. Here's the podcast. Now,
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast, the world's greatest running podcast where each week we break down the biggest stories in the sport. It was a crazy weekend for high school US 800 meter runners as Juliet Whittaker joined Mary Kane as the only American high school girl in the Sub 2 club while Kate Flat just missed breaking Michael Granville's 26-year-old national record by .06 of a second. The Diamond League is in full swing and Kaylee Hutchinson notched a big win in Birmingham to set up a showdown with Athing Mo and Eugene this weekend. Marcel Jacobs is out of pre but Shakeri Richardson is in. We discuss her return to the sport at the Duval County Challenge. Plus, does the full start rule need to be changed? And at the end of the podcast, you'll hear from high school star Gary Martin after his 357 at the Philadelphia Catholic League Championships. All of that and more I'm Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson, and very, very pleased to be joined by my identical twin, well, co-founder Weldon Johnson, who has gotten COVID and beaten it since last week's show. Welcome back, Weldon. Good to see that you're healthy, and HDF letter Jonathan Galt is here as well.
0: Good to be here, guys. Yes? I noticed last week's podcasts. Voice started to go. Turned out to be the coronavirus. But I was on the Friday 15, which is your supporters club only. Second podcast every week. If you want to hear everything from Let's Run.com, you need to be a supporters club member. You get all of our insights. You can save up to 20% on running shoes. You get a free coaching plan for the summer. It's the most exclusive. Club and coolest club in running. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. And I really enjoyed your guys talk with Gary Martin. I thought it was great. I mean, he's one of us, this kid. He's just a distance running. Well, the word nerd is used in, in a good way. He's like us. Call me a distance running nerd. I'll take it. Great talk with him about his training insights, everything. and But actually, if you want the full talk, the full talk's about 45 minutes. He talks about 76ers. A little more about his recruiting. you got to be a supporters club member. For everyone else, we got the highlights. 30 minutes with Gary Martin at the end of today's show.
2: And I wanted to be on there. Well, Weldon, you're the one who put together the interview. You reached out to Gary. You also constructed a few of the questions, which belatedly, I want to apologize. The question about Vin Lanana, Robert credited me as the source of that, but actually you wrote it. So getting your recognition now, thank you for putting it together. Glad you enjoyed the interview. And I have a question for you guys, though. We haven't talked about the biggest story in the sporting world over the weekend. The terrific comeback victory that sealed a momentous season in the Premier League. You all know what I'm talking about. Brighton coming back from... 1-0 down to beat West Ham United and finish ninth place, our highest league finish in the team's 122-year history. I assume most of the podcast will be dedicated to that feat and us finally finishing above Crystal Palace for the first time since 2013.
0: Well, John is embarrassing himself for any new listeners of the podcast. John and I both are fans of... To obscure English soccer teams.
2: Well, excuse me, ninth place in the greatest league in the world. I'm sorry. I know you guys aren't a top 10 team, but we are.
0: Look at this. John's team finished ahead of mine team for the first time like ever. And he's acting like they won something of importance. I mean, this just shows how minor his team is. John, congratulations. Enjoy it while you can.
2: Yeah, I'll, l- I'll let you know how the top 10 feels well then because you probably don't know what that's like. So yeah, it's pretty pretty good. I will enjoy it. Anyway. Running, back to running, lots of stuff to talk about this weekend. I mean, the Pre-Classic will have a special Boots on the Ground Pre-Classic podcast. We're going to try to release that to our Supporters Club members as our Friday 15, but it'll be a Thursday 15 this weekend. Robert Johnson will be in Eugene. He will be at the new Haywood Field for the first time ever. He was a little reluctant to go, but he will be there. And they have a press conference on Thursday. We will talk to him after that and get all the scoop because we've got the U.S. 10,000-meter championships on Friday night. We've got three world-record attempts on Friday night. And then we have the most loaded Diamond League meet of the season so far on Saturday. It's going to be a terrific weekend. So if you are not a member of the supporters club and you want to get us our insight and our previews and everything we learned from the press conference, you want to sign up and join that. Let'srun.com slash subscribe because you'll get to hear everything from Eugene.
1: I'm so pumped to be going to Eugene, and I didn't want to ever set foot in that town again. But this meet's going to be incredible. I mean, how many world records might fall on Friday night? Two, women's Two Mile with Safanistan and Fencing Saba Men's 5,000. I think there's another one. Am I making that?
2: Men's 5,000 with Joshua Cheptegay, and the women's 5,000 with Letessa and Bat Gide. So you've got two women, sorry. The two current 5,000-meter world record holders, and then you've got Nian Saba and Hassan, two of the best distance runners in the world, going for a third world record in the two-mile.
1: So I think we'll record the Thursday podcast. Let's do it live. I'll be outside. Maybe go outside Hayward Field and record it. And then if you miss it live, you can be a Supporting Club member. Um, Supporting Club members have already been listening to Gary Martin because we gave it to them right after we recorded it. So join the Supporters Club now, let'srun.com slash subscribe. But maybe some high schoolers are listening. We just started advertising the high school training program. Let's run.com slash coaching for more info on that, or email me at coaching at let's run.com or give us a call 844 let's run, 844 538 7786. But what should, what should we break down first, guys? Should we do the crazy fast US high school 800 runners? Shakari's return to the sport?
2: It's it, I'm genuinely curious how many of our listeners want us to start with Sha'Carri because I feel like in the broader track and field world, in the broader world, you know, it's a sporting world, Sha'Carri generally the headline. Love her or hate her, people do have opinions and they care about her. So, but like personally, I don't know, we're a distance site. Are we really going to go crazy? She ran at 11.27. Like, do we, you know, I say we start with the high school 800 stars because those were really... Pretty special performances on Friday night at the Tracksmith Track Night NYC. Wow, we had a Diamond League meet.
0: Shakari Richardson's return. And we're going to start with super obscure meet in New York City. I'm all for it because at this little meet put on by Trials of Miles Racing, they've been putting on some good events recently. We had the same meet. The number two fastest high school girls 800 meter time and the number two fastest boys high school 800 meter time of all time. It's pretty cool that, you know, all these national championships throwing stuff on, getting people that no one's ever run this fast. Now, granted, we got super shoes. So by the end of the year, this both these records could be gone.
2: Well, Weldon, I know you're saying it's obscure meat and certainly compared to the Diamond League, it's not of that stature, but. I'm just going to say, there were three meets with an Elite 800 last week. There was the Diamond League in Birmingham. There was the USATF Distance Classic at Mount SAC. But where was the fastest winning time? It was actually the Tracksmith Track Night NYC, Festus Lagarde, winning in 145-02. Maybe that says something about the global level in the 800 right now. But he's had a fine season. He won that race. And then Cade Flat, the high schooler from Mississippi, sorry, he's from Kentucky. He's going to Mississippi next year. He runs 146.51. He's only six hundredths off of Michael Granville's 26-year-old high school record. And yet, I think you can make a strong case it was not the best high school performance of the night because Juliet Whitaker, also number two on the all-time list, but she actually won the race. She won the women's race at 159.80. And that puts her, you know, I think it was tw- the number 12 time in the world this year and flat was a lot further down in sort of the 40s. So it's a world-class run by high school senior Juliette Whitaker. And also breaking the two-minute barrier. Anytime you can break a round number barrier like that, it's pretty awesome. And she single-handedly doubled the high school sub-two club. It used to be just Mary Kane. Now she's in there too. Roisin Willis earlier this year ran two flat 0.06. She might be able... They're going to race each other, Willis and Whitaker at USA's... USA, sorry, they're racing each other at the U.S. under 20 championships, which I like. But did you guys, were you able to watch this thing live? What were your thoughts on it? Did you be you surprised by the result? Expected it?
1: I most definitely didn't watch it live. And I was talking to you about this, John. I mean, I think there was some social media in this woke world. People were like, people had better be paying attention to this Juliet Whitaker because she's only the second person to go under two. And a lot more people have broken four and. I thought Gary Martin, he's such a nice guy. Like He's tweeting like, yes, Julia deserves all the attention she can get. I'm all for it. So he was saying the right things. I'm not saying we're covering it just to be woke, but I was telling you, John, on the Let's Run Nation, we're a distance running website, the 800, while it's my favorite event to watch in track and field, it doesn't sort of, I don't know, people aren't as into it as they are the distance running. I think people view it as it's more of a kind of. It's closer to a sprint, and people view that as more talent based versus effort based, which really isn't true because you got to be super talented to be world class in any, any of them. But I just think that people don't relate to the 800 meter runners like they do the distance runners.
2: What well, the 1500, the miles a glory event? There's that, and there's the after the 100 meters. That's the event in track and field that gets the most attention. It's the mile has all this history behind it, and people get hyped up about it. It's one of the few events where there's at least. The regular person has some context of it, and I don't know if it just stems from Americans running the mile in gym class. I think it's more than that, but that does play a role, I would guess. But yeah, pe- people get excited about the mile. Like, when Gary Martin ran his 357, it was on the front page of ESPN.com. I did not see Julia... Now, granted, I don't go to that site every day, but I'm not sure that a 159-800... Like, if you said a woman runs a 159-800, most... Most non-running fans wouldn't really be sure what that means, but if you say, "Oh, this high school boy ran a f- three fifty-seven mile," they'd be like, "Oh my god, that's insane!" You know, so that's just kind of the way it is. The fifteen hundred in the mile is a glory event, and that it's always going. If you get a big phenom in that event, they're always going to be a big star than you know, an eight hundred or the five k. And
1: Walton's given us a bit of a hard time for starting with the high school action, but big picture wise. One of the reasons why I did it was we already broke down some of these other meets. We definitely talked about the USATF distance classic on the Friday 15, and I guess Birmingham we didn't at the time, but was how slow the pro times were in all of these meets. I mean, 147 for the winning 800-meter time at the USATF distance classic, 145 winning time in Birmingham, 402 in the women's 800, 1447, 201 in the women's 800 USATF. So, the pro times weren't that fast, so the high school times, get it. And, you know, you in our recap of those 800s, we're like, or in the week that was, we were discussing our weekly written recap, which 800 time was more impressive. I think you and I both, John, kind of agreed that Whitaker's is. But there's a thread on it on Let's Run about which high school time was more impressive and also which Polish 800-meter runner had a better career, Adam Scott or Marcin Lewandowski. They both retired. And it's a pretty interesting discussion thread. And some people are still saying Kate Flat because they think he's closer to the world record than Whitaker is. And I'm like, that doesn't move the needle to me at all. First of all, the woman's world record was doped. So who's closer to like the best in the world right now? 155, it's basically the best time in the world, right? For I think Mo?
2: Yes, yeah, you're in 155.04 last year.
1: So Whitaker's what, 4.9 seconds away from that? What a flat run! One for, I guess. Well, if you use that, still he's probably. What he run? One forty six this weekend.
2: One forty six five, yeah.
1: So if you take four point five seconds off that, four point nine seconds, he's closer to the best. So they're pretty similar, I guess.
2: Well, in an absolute sense, yes. But look again. Look at the world rankings. Like she's number twelve, and he's number forty six. Oh, sorry, this was. He's number fifty-four, and he's, she's number twelve. So clearly, she's closer to the top. Like, if she would, Robert, if she was on any in, from any other country, she would have a very good shot of making the world championship team this year. It's just she's American, so she basically has no shot. Whereas K. Fly I mean, one forty-six. Is that even? Does he have the world championship standard?
0: No. I don't know why. Where- like, there's not much debate, unless you want to get into some the big debate about men's running being more competitive than women's. On a performance ranking, her performance is better, and she won this race. Now, you can argue, oh, the women's race wasn't as deep as the men's, but I'm not so sure about that. I mean, Festus Legat's pretty good, but the other people in these races weren't superstars. On the women's side, now granted, the two biggest names didn't race. I don't know if they were never racing or what, or at some point when they pulled out, but Allie Wilson, Najee Wilson, that's what I was getting center building on this race. I mean, they were supposed to lead this field, and they didn't run, so I don't know when they pulled out. But, I mean, it's great runs by both of them, right? And the women's... 800 meter running right now in the United States is so absolutely stacked, both in the senior level and the junior level. I mean, the senior level, oh man, you just, good luck making that team. I mean, we've got the Olympic gold medalist, Thing Mo, Raven Rogers, who now is getting medals at every Olympics and World Championships. And then you got Ajay Wilson, the greatest 800 meter runner the last decade you know, who's still allowed to run. It's crazy. And then at the the junior level, you got, uh, obviously, Juliet Whitaker, but Rosen Willis, Sophia Gorian. Like, I'm not even convinced Juliet Whitaker's the best 800-meter runner in high school this year. So, those three girls, I want to see them all square off somewhere this year.
2: I think they're racing at the U.S. Under-20 Championships, I'm pretty sure, which is held concurrently with USA's in Eugene. At the end of June, so if you're going to be USA spectating, make sure you get there for the women's 800 final, the under 20 meet, because that's going to be terrific. And just for a little context, neither of these athletes hit the world championship standard. So it's 159.5 for women and 145.20 for men. Clearly, Whitaker was closer. I look. I don't want to be- demean what Kate Flat did because 146 for a high school boy is also insane. Remember Donovan Brazier ran 147 a few years ago. We were like people were losing their minds he's now half a second faster. So that was really impressive.
0: The thing with me with Cade Flat also is this kid is so damn confident. I just started seeing message board threads on the guy saying like, I'm the greatest. He's like the Muhammad Ali of boys high school 800 meter running. I mean, do you guys have any comments on that?
2: Yeah, he said, I think I'm the best ever I think I should have hit that mark today. I've still got time. I ain't done yet. And he's on Twitter. He's been posting his progression. He's, you know, he's called out months ago. He was going to break the high school national record. And he actually has the talent to back it up. Now, some people don't like that. He's definitely cocky. He doesn't mind bragging, but he also can back up, back it up with the goods. So to me, that's interesting. A guy like that is more interesting for the sport. I enjoy following it more when you have a diverse array of characters like that. But I can understand if you, if you don't like someone who's cocky and you prefer a more humble athlete, K-flat's not going to be for you.
1: I was going to ask about that. What do you guys think of his persona, his talking? Originally, I liked the cockiness. And I called John up yesterday and I was walking my son to the park. And I said, John, if my son's, if he ends up being a star runner, do you want him to teach him to tr- talk trash? And John said, no, you teach him to be respectful. But I like K-flat. I said, so you're being a hypocrite. He said, no, as a journalist. It's more interesting to cover someone like that. But if it's your own son, you don't really want him to be like that. Now, I've got a text message here from my source that's never wrong. What do you guys think about this? He had heard that Cade Flat was at the meet wearing a person. We need to see the picture of this. If anyone has a picture of this, please send it to us to podcast.letsrun.com or tweet it out. He was wearing a personalized UFC jacket that had Flat written on the back, and he had his own uh, PR handler walking around with him to handle the media request. So if anyone can confirm this, please send us pictures immediately. We probably should have Kate on the thing. He'd love to show on the, on the podcast, but he's a big UFC fan. Well, he use Muhammad Ali. He probably thinks boxing is passe. Like he's trying to talk up a game, but I don't know, man, when you say you're the greatest ever, should he at least say the greatest high school ever? He's clearly not the greatest ever Cause he got his ass handed to him in this race by about four professionals.
2: Well, yeah, I think that's sort of implied. But all right, there was one other thing because this gets to why Ali and AJ Wilson, which would have been a great matchup, why they both scratched, is this meet was delayed due to weather. And Robert has held a the theory for a while that special performances arise either before a storm or right after a thunderstorm. I don't know if there was any thunder, but it was raining on this thing. And then we do see These two really fast high school 800s. And if you go back to 2008, the same stadium, Icon Stadium in New York, there was a big rainstorm uh, at the Reebok Grand Prix. They pushed back the men's 100. And then Usain Bolt comes out and runs 972, the world record for 100 meters. Even, Robert, what was the story with Bob Beeman in the 1968 Olympics? Apparently, He he got his mark in right before there was a massive storm in the long jump, correct?
1: Yeah, the award ceremony was downpour. He jumped, then I think it started raining mid competition. And Lee Evans, I don't know if any any guys that were watching 68 or gals, please email us too. Lee Evans came like right after Bob Beeman, but I don't know if that was before or after the rain. So it was, when we were kids, well, then when, the, when it would get cloudy in Texas, our dad would say something special could happen today. Because my dad was obsessed with that 1968 Olympics and that Bob Beeman jump. So I, I was doing some research for it. Scientists too, like if you know, let us know. 844, let's run. Like, they've done studies on the eons and positive and negative and
2: You mean ions, right? Ions,
1: whatever. They've never been able to prove that it helps your performance or endurance. But they did say, I was reading it, it makes people feel, like, euphoric. And it, like, definitely changes your mood. So, I don't know.
2: Ooh, this is starting to get a little overly spiritual with mood rings and power bracelets and all that sort of pseudoscience bullshit. But... I do kind of like the mythology of like, and I, I I don't know, when I'm out there and it's right before a storm or it's like, it's all cleared up afterwards. It kind of does feel cool when I'm out there. Like, so I don't know. Even if there's not something to it, this is one of those kind of things I kind of want to believe that there is.
1: Well, really, the thing is really dense air is lighter. It's easy. There's less resistance if there's like 100% humidity. So maybe that could be it. Yeah,
0: we need some scientists
1: to get to the bottom of this. Because I think there's definitely something
0: there the more you think about it. Now maybe it's some primal thing, right? It, maybe the mood does factor in. The storm comes through. You're sort of we just relax, and you can get the most out of your body when you're just sort of super relaxed. But there's, I guess I don't want to say there's no way it's a coincidence. But these are too big, and back to that Usain Bolt race, John. I was there. For- Wait, so, say his name, Weldon. Usain Bolt.
2: Yes, there we go. That took Weldon, I don't know if you guys, if Weldon edited that out, that took Weldon a good five seconds to think about how to pronounce the name of the greatest runner of all time. But anyway, even though his name is
0: spelled Usain Bolt, but Usain Bolt, John, I was there for the race. Robert, you weren't there, were you? And this rainstorm delayed everything and I was, you know, young at the time and it was a weekend in New York City, I wanted to get out. So I almost didn't go back to the meet, but thankfully I did. And, hey, got the my picture taken with Usain Bolt in Times Square afterwards. So that was almost as much fun, John, as going to McDonald's with Usain Bolt in Boston. But that's a completely different story.
2: Oh, that's that's his favorite spot, right? The di- that was the diet that propelled him to the... Di- double world records in Beijing in 100 and 200 so
1: do we have any explanation why Ajay Wilson didn't bother to run this race I just it rains a little bit and you don't want to run
2: I that would be my assumption I didn't hear an official explanation but it, it does get me to the second meet that also was affected by a major storm this was the Duval County Challenge and here's the other thing so these theories are wonderful when you say, oh, here are all these examples of this stuff happening, but then we kind of ignore all the times it doesn't happen, but I think in the case of Duval County Challenge, the performances were certainly not spectacular, but also it was kind of still storming during the meet, like it still rained for a good amount, there was some water on the track, it was really poorly lit because I think, I didn't know, I didn't hear the official explanation, but... Maybe they just were planning on having it earlier and they weren't set up to have a light meet at night. I I don't know exactly what happened there, but that meet was delayed massively by a huge thunderstorm. And as a result, you have Michael Norman, Grant Holloway, Arian Knighton. They all pulled out. I guess that might be good for the sport, actually, because Arian Knighton now gets to go for the high school sub-10 this weekend at pre. If he had done it in the smaller meet where it's only on watch ESPN, maybe it's not in his main headlines. But it would have been a perfect excuse... For Shakari Richardson, who was already pulled out of three meets this year without explanation, to pull out as well. And instead, she goes out and runs not once, but twice.
0: Well, John, I can explain the weather difference here. One, the first race, she's running into a headwind. I think the second race, it was actually raining while she was running. Yes. So the storm had not passed through. The storm has to come through or have not come yet. Can't be mid storm for this theory to work. Scientists, please call us at one eight four four. Let's run, get to the bottom of this. But uh, the times are not that fast for Shakari. But what do you guys think? Optimism.
2: After this first race, I was fairly pessimistic because she was racing some of the top women in the country, and she wasn't that far back. She runs eleven thirty-seven. And finishes fourth. And ahead of the winner was Aaliyah Hobbs in 1128, who's run like 1095 this year. Then Brittany Brown, who's run 1066 Windy. She was second in 10.30. Sorry, 11.30. And TT Terry, who won that 100 at Mount Sac, she ran 10.7 Windy. She ran 11.34. So if you consider that it was into a headwind and the women she was facing are all, you know, basically sub-11, or was capable of sub-11 this year, I would put Richardson around 11 flat shape right now. But I would look to that she didn't have a great start. She didn't look that great closing down, so well, I wasn't I too did optimistic. You
1: watch this, I, I guess you guys didn't watch the same race I did. Look, I watched this race live. She does move the needle. Y'all texted, she's about to go, and I found ESPN3. Boom, I was watching this race. I wasn't watching some high school race. And her start was horrific. But I thought she was closing pretty well. Is she in good shape? No. Is it is a professional? Does she need to take her job more seriously? Absolutely. But I thought she's only .09 away from the top Americans in her first race. And then she comes back and runs faster a few minutes later. So I think that she's got enough talent to get away with it at the U.S. level, for sure. And the stat that I came up with was her freshman year at LSU. She did open up a 1091 one, but that was a four point three win. But on April twentieth, she ran eleven point one two and was beaten. That's with a huge tailwind, two point eight. Forty nine days later, she won NCAs in ten point seven five. So she had, if she's in eleven shape, you know, she's in better shape than that now, I would say. And she's got roughly the same amount of time. they are fifty seven days till the world's final. So she's certainly in shape to be to win the trials, I think? No, she has to keep improving. The big picture for me is,
0: Robert, she's not that far behind, 0.1 behind the best in the U.S. So that was encouraging. But she doesn't have whatever it is, 59 days. She's got about a month to the trials. And the more important thing for me was she actually ran these races. She needs the work. That's why she did both these races. Now, maybe she'll be fine this weekend by pre- But she knew. Oh, I don't know what her if she wants to like not embarrass herself at pre, or what the goal is for pre to try to win pre. But whatever it is, she's like, I need the work. I have to race, and she's one who's like, shown get some get some races in, get some reps in, and then perform on the big stage. So she hasn't. She had pulled out of what three straight races, and now some more details are, are are coming out. Um, she her relationship with. Janique Brown, who was the 2019 NCAA 100-meter champion, hurdle champion at Arkansas, ended terribly. They've been ex- exchanging accusations on social media, and that's public now. So before, people kind of wondering what was going on. But I think we kind of now know what was going on. If your personal life is not going well, it's hard to run well. So hopefully now she can get focused on track. Obviously, take care of her personal life as well, but she doesn't have a ton of time, but to me, overall, the big picture is encouraging.
2: Well, one thing I just want to clarify, she ran a second race. I know you sort of hinted it at it Weldon. There was originally supposed to be prelims and finals, but the schedule got all mucked up because of the weather delay. So, they ended up running five, just one-section finals. She was in the Fossa section. And then they allowed some women to come back. They flipped the track, which actually didn't end up making a difference because the win was like 0.01 for this final race. But they allowed some people to come back and run a second race. The top two from the race Sha'Carri was first in, Aaliyah Hobbs and Brittany Brown did not double back, but TT Terry, who is now, I think, her training partner with Dennis Mitchell, she did. And Shakari won that race at 11.27, just for context there.
0: Robert hinted at that race, so she needed the reps. That's why she comes back for that second race.
2: But the question to me here is like, okay, yes, I think she can still win the US trials, but the top all the other top American women, there's a pretty big gap between them and the very the top two Jamaicans. We've got the two best hundred meter sprinters of all time going at the same time right now, Elaine Thompson Hurrah and Shelly Ann Fraser Price. Now, Jekari, she's run 10 2 at age twenty-one. She has the potential to possibly get on their level if she kept improving. And to me, I just you know, we've already seen Shelly Ann Fraser Price run 6 six seven this year at altitude. I I'm just not convinced that in fifty nine days she can get up to the level that's gonna take to challenge those women.
0: I guess the question should be why do we think she would beat Elaine Thompson her, her this year?
2: Oh, I, I don't think she would, but She, again, running, she ran faster at age 21 than Elaine Thompson-Hurad did. So she does have this high potential. And the question is like, can it, maybe that's an unfair thing to put on her to say, oh, you should be able to go out there and compete against two of the the best ever to ever do this event. But that is sort of the expectation is like, I I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's not fair to lump that on her, but with her talent, that's kind of what you think, oh, could this happen? And maybe it's just like, uh, no, this is actually a lot harder than it, than it is than you think to get to that level.
1: This, look, this is, that's exactly what I said. Look, she, she's fine for U.S. She's fine for probably getting back into PR shape. But the reality is, even if she gets a 1075 5 shape, if she gets to the shape that made her a superstar at 2019 NCAAs, that's not good enough to win the Worlds, most likely. So if you want to be the best in the world at something, you can't be focused for three months. It's not going to happen. Like, uh, there's probably nobody on the planet that can do that in any sport. Even the same boat. Like, I'm, men don't open up 0.5 of second off where they need to be, you know, to win. Point. Well, if she's an 11 flat shape, she needs to be po- at least 0.4 faster. So, you know, she, she but I'm happy that she's all, or, she seems to be an all or nothing type person. She's very emotional. So I'd heard the rumor that she sort of just was AWOL from practice for several months. And down, maybe that wasn't making sense. Maybe she went down to Jamaica. That didn't go well. She's obviously focused now. But the key is, like, what are her expectations for this race this week? She's going to get it handed to her. Just hopefully she improves. If she can run a 10.9 or 10.8, that's a really good step in the right direction. All right. There's another interesting sprint development that John came up with. Why don't you tell people, John, about what Aaron Brown did at the Diamond League meet? Because this, this result has gotten zero attention.
2: Yeah, I missed this when it actually happened, Robert, because well, I didn't you did.
1: see... you were the only one. No one did it on the broadcast either.
2: Yeah, Robert, really interesting story here. I learned about it from Rich Perelman's newsletter a couple of days after the fact because I didn't see the pre-broadcast window part- portion of this meet. But Aaron Brown of Canada was originally going to do the 4 by one I think maybe only the 4 by one and then he was in the B heat of the hundred. But then at the last minute, they sort of say, hey, we've got a lane in the A section, the Diamond League 100, you can run that as well. So he goes out, he's only second in the B heat in 10.23, but then he comes back and he wins the A heat, the Diamond League 100 in 10.13. Now, 10.13 is not usually fast enough to win a Diamond League 100, but the reason why he won here is because there were two disqualifications. Trayvon Bromel, who's the biggest star in the field, he full-starts, blatant full-start, and he's thrown out. And then zon L Hughes, who is now a disturbing pattern of DQs. He's been DQ'd in four of his last 700-meter races. Really, that's becoming a real issue with him, is full-starting. He full-started in the Olympic final last year. Uh, he also full-started. So you're you're down two of the best guys in the field, and Aaron Brown comes up and gets it done, runs 10.13. So really interesting story, but it also gets to... A larger discussion because I was watching this and I'm like, wait a minute. If we're in a position where Trayvon Bromell flies all the way to England to run a Diamond League meet, he's one of the biggest stars in the sport. And okay, yes, he did full start. It's against the rules, but now we're just going to throw him out and no one gets to see him run. Is this how the sport should be operating? To, to me, I think the Diamond League full start rule needs to be overhauled. We have a pro- problem enough. Getting our top stars to race at the biggest stage and getting them to square off against each other, and now that one of them is running on a big dime meet in one of the you know big track and field nations, we're throwing him out. No one gets to see him run. I, I just think that we need to fix this.
1: Absolutely, I think the rule needs an overhaul. I think that the rule as a whole has been good for the sport. Like if you're a young guy, you don't remember what it was like. You used to get to every major championship, and there'd be three or four false start because every runner in the field got one false start. And it would take forever. he hit false start, false start, false start. he hit four or five, and then it would go off. And then when they switched to no false starts, people were like, oh, the spinners can't do this. It's impossible. It's going to be a disaster. It hasn't been a disaster. It sped up the, 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 the pace of the meet. But does anyone remember, I think it was Berlin when Usain Bolt was thrown out of the final for the false start. And I made That a was debut video. I 2011.
2: I do remember that because Robert, you had a big breakdown on YouTube after Vimeo or something.
1: The guy next to him flinched. No one saw it except for me. And, and to this day, I've not received an apology from world athletics or a thank you from Hussein bolts management, but you should not be throwing the stars out. To me, it's simple in the diamond league. You have two solutions. One, let them run and they're invalidated. Like you can count the time, but any world records would not count. And the prize money. No, they get no place, but they can run the time just to let them run the race. Because it's not like it's an, what you do really impacts other people. You're trying to run as fast as you can. I think that would be one option. But my main option going forward and for the Worlds is, but this might be bad for the timing because maybe people might be doing it on purpose, is you just move people back. If you false start, you move them back one meter or two meters or whatever, maybe you should make it pretty substantial. And they have to run from there. So that way, if same Bolt... False starts. He's not throw in the first round of worlds. You don't have to like throw him out of the meet. He can just move back two meters and still qualify. That's my solution. Tell me why it's not amazing,
2: Robert. You actually just blew my mind. That actually is pretty amazing because initially I was going to say I I didn't mind the change to one full start and you're done because. We've been to track meets where the timing gets up, messed up or where there's multiple full starts and he, no one likes that. The athletes get mad about it. They're not going to be able to perform to their best level. The spectators don't like it. I do think it's a positive change, even though, yeah, the biggest star in, star in the entire sport, Usain Bolt, got DQ'd in the World Championship Final in 2011. But that's sort of the cost, you know, th- that's the rule. I- I'm okay with that. Everyone knows what the rule is. Like you said, I think the Diamond League solution was fine, but for the World Championships, my opinion was I think we should keep it in. Like that's the no one's getting appearance fees to run in championship meets. You're there, you have to follow the rules. If the star goes home, so be it. I'm okay with that. But you're moving the start back. Like how cool would it be? You need to find like the right distance. But if you're the World Championship final and you get there, and Christian Coleman full starts, and then it's like okay, he's not done though. Christian Coleman now has to run 102 meters or 103 meters. If he still wins that race afterwards, that's a, such an amazing story. Like how epic is that? So I actually think Robert, okay, yeah, and the time, like he still gets his time and then we're trying to compare like, oh, what would this be if he actually ran 100 meters? I actually really like this solution.
1: I was going to move it back one meter. Would that be 0.1 of a second? Roughly?
0: I mean, for one of Robert's ideas, this is actually pretty good. I hate to admit. But all I know is when I'm watching the Birmingham Diamond League meet, I want to see what Trayvon Burmel can run for 100 meters. So figure it out. I don't If he can run under quote-unquote quote, protest, and then afterwards, like, oh, we've, we determined that you did a false start. I don't care. I still want to see him run. And that's sort of the beauty and the problem with our sport at the same time, right? We want to see the sports, stars. At the end of the day, almost everything until the World Championships, except for the USA Championships, which is a qualifying meet, is theater. But I want to be entertained. I want entertaining theater. I don't want, like, I bought a ticket to go see, you know, Samuel Jackson, and then they pull him off the stage right beforehand because he coughed or something. So figure it out somehow. Do you guys think back to this other 100? It might have been an advantage for Aaron Brown to run the two heats. We're through. I, I used to be under the impression that, you know, the semifinal tires, you're out for the final. But I don't think it does at all. We saw this at NC indoors in the 60. There was a false start. They we ran the race?
2: It depends. Depends on the athlete, Well, then I think some athletes it's beneficial for. Marcel Jacobs, he seems to do really well with running fast prelims, and then he gets even faster in the final. But remember last year in the Olympics, Ronnie Baker and Su Bing Chan, they both beat Jacobs in that Olympic 100-meter semifinal. They both ran personal best. Neither of them came that close. You know, they couldn't deliver again in the final. So... Now, Aaron Brown did run a personal best in this prelim, but I think for some athletes, it is a benefit, but for some athletes, it might not be. It's sort of case by case. Aaron Brown probably seems like one of the guys who might benefit from it.
1: Good point, John. Uh, Ronnie Baker would probably like us all to call him the Olympic champion. One caveat about my full start rule, I definitely think it should be for the Worlds because you don't want to be throwing a scene bolt. It's it's a perfect excuse for like the first round of the Worlds. You don't want to be throwing Bolt out, so you got to kind of have a get-out-of-the-joke card, you move him back a couple meters if he does false start. But Diamond League, you don't want a lot of people doing it because you don't want to have four or five false starts. Could you, you could have him run under protest, but or what if you just said this rule only applies to people ranked in the top 20 in the world? If you're somebody lucky to be in top 10 in the world, if you're somebody, and then you get rewarded for getting this rule ranking. People are oh, like, that's not fair. Well, they, they, they give, they give, you know, top seeds in tennis tournaments buys all the time. They have an easier path to the final. So, you have an easier path to the final because you had a great regular season. If you make a mistake and if you're nervous, you get to back up a little bit and try again. And Because I, I don't want to have the lane filler holding the meat up. If they fall start, they're out.
0: That's a good point, Robert. We always think always it has to be fair and equal. But all these years, I never realized that like, golf is fair. Everybody's out there playing the course at the same, well, relatively the same time. But all these years, John, like Roger Federer, Robert's good friend, Serena Williams, they've been out there playing an easier field than everybody else. You're the number one seed. You played 128th in the first round. Like, hey, it's unfair, Robert. Like, kind of I'm half joking, but it's actually true. I never really thought about it. The number one seed, obviously, not only are they the best player, they then have an easier path to the final.
2: Think about That's how the NFL playoffs work every year. You know, the Green Bay Packers, they get the number one seed. They get to face the easiest remaining opponent and they don't have to play in the first round. So they
1: still find a way to lose.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm I'm not totally... I mean, look, the focus has to be on the Stars running these big meets and I don't want to see Star thrown out of a Diamond League meet for a full star. I'm okay with it at Worlds. It doesn't bother me as much, but I also do think Robert's solution creates some more drama. So I'd love to see how the athletes feel about that as well. So elsewhere in Birmingham, you know, we had Abel Kip saying win the 1500 and he's been on fire this year. You know, we saw him win the Kenyan World Champion, well, not World Championship Trials, the Kenyan African Championships Trials. We saw him win the Nairobi Continental Tour meet. Then he won the Diamond League opener in Doha. And then now he's won in Birmingham and he's running the mile this weekend, the Bowman Mile in Eugene at the Prefontaine Classic. Which is just totally loaded. You've got him, you've got Jakub and Timothy Chariot, the world indoor champ, Samuel Tefera, Cooper Tier, Ollie Hoare, Cole Hawker. I mean, Matthew Centruitt's season debut is just going to be fantastic. John so- certainly
1: is not a meat promoter. He's just sort of like, and they got to kill Cooper Tier, Cole Hawker. John, I'm so excited about this race. Look, you've got the studs up front, but I would pay just to see Cole Hawker versus Cooper Tier. I, if told me that the, the Hawker wasn't running and wasn't something else, no, baby, I looked at that start list this morning. Paul Harker, to to Farah, Ingebrigtsen. You know, uh, saying has been doing well, John, but do you think really Jacob Ingebrigtsen's worried about that? He sees a 335 winning time in Birmingham. He's laughing at that time. He does well, that in practice.
2: I don't think he'll be laughing at it, but he also ran 331 at altitude in Nairobi. 331 flat. Do you think he'd laugh at that time, Robert?
1: No, but my concern is these young guys, they're on the shortcut, they're racing too much, trying to make a living. He doesn't seem to be getting better th- to me. He didn't. He blew away the field in in Kenya. He destroyed everybody. Now here, he's you know, it was, the Birmingham field wasn't that great, right? It it's, was solid. Okay, but I guess Josh Kerr was in there. Josh,
2: was, you had Mohamed Katir, Oli Ho was pretty good. Like it wasn't okay. You didn't have the very very top guys, but he already beat Cherry in Doha, like. Kip Sang, no, my worry is, Robert, that Jakob's been in Flagstaff for the last month, just grinding away and really getting ready to run something special at pre. And Kip Sang's been traveling all over West, you know, Europe, Asia, Africa to run all these races, and he's racing a lot. Now he's going to the West Coast of the United States. I mean, I would expect Ingebrigtsen Brixham to beat him just partially because of the travel, a lot, you know, because of the travel. So. I'm still excited for that race, but it was a good. Look, Kip Sang's been running terrific. So, good good run for him in Birmingham. And then the other one race that really, I think, set the stage for the pre-classic this weekend was Keely Hodgkinson in the 800. Because, you know, she looked so good in her one indoor 800 earlier this year. She ran 157.2, and she was heavily favored to win at World Indoors, but then ends up pulling out due to injury. She comes out and. Looks fantastic in Birmingham. She wins in 158.63, negative split there with a 59.7, first lap, 58.9, second lap. And now this weekend, she's going to race against a Thing Mo. And the last time they raced, a Thing Mo kicked the crap out of her at the pre classic last year. It was not close. And the big question is this going to become a rivalry? Because right now, a Thing Mo has never lost to Keeley Hodgkinson. And that's what I want to see. They're squaring off for the first time in 2022. Is it going to be more of the same last year where Bo won both of their matchups? Or can Hodgkinson, you know, stake her claim here? Yeah.
0: Robert, I totally agree with you about promotion. Is this going to become a rivalry? Last time I looked, this is the 19 year old Olympic champion, the 19 year old Olympic silver medalist. It already is a rivalry, John. What I guess so far. When Federer used to beat Nadal all the time, it wasn't a rivalry. It's still a rivalry. These are the two best 800-meter r- runners in the world. Hutchinson is now 20, but they're, like, super young. This is great. Like, pre is at, like, the perfect time this year. I'm glad it's early this year.
2: It's not early. It's the same time it almost – the only time – it was late last year, but it's always Memorial Day weekend pretty much. But n- Fine.
0: They're moving it around. It's going to be at the end of the season next year. Uh, yeah. I'm excited. It's this week. We need it. We need, as we said, you don't want people racing every single weekend. All the stars, but you know, you need to have steak more than once a year. So, big steak meal this weekend.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Arian Knighton, the high schooler. No high schooler boy has ever gone sub ten. He's he's in the hundred now. Was he planning on doing the hundred? I've got to get pre credit because. People always thought it was just a Nike meet only, and they wouldn't pay to get other people to show up. I don't know if they're paying him or what. Just the fact that they're letting him have a lane is big because he's probably going to hand it to all the Nike guys
2: but Robert, I just want to talk about this mo versus Hodgkinson thing. I do think it will be become a rivalry. Hopefully, it's the defining 800 rivalry of the next decade. But do we consider it a true rivalry if someone hasn't won yet? I know they've only raced two times, but Robert, when you if so if someone like let's say you think mo. They both go 1-2 in the world again this year, but I think Mo wins all their races. Like, was Francine Nianzaba versus Caster Semenya a rivalry? They would always go 1-2, but it was always the same order.
1: No, a rivalry has to have some back and forth in an individual sport. I mean, it's still a rivalry if Alabama beats Auburn every year in football because at one point, well, I guess but at one point in the past, that wasn't always the case.
0: I guess Brighton's not Crystal Palace's rival because you guys never seem to beat us.
2: What do you mean never seem to beat you? When did you guys beat us this season?
0: I'm just saying, I don't remember ever losing to you, so.
2: Well, you clearly don't remember Anthony Nacott's winner in 2019. long time ago. You John. don't remember us beating you. I mean, come on, we beat, we won both matchups in the 2018-2019 season, so.
0: All right, someone edit that out of the podcast.
2: No, I, I sorry. This sounds like I'm coming across as a Keeley Hodgkinson hater. I am not. Again, they've only raced twice. I do think it will become a rivalry, but we, we don't know. We don't know what path it's going to take. Maybe someone else emerges. You know, it's just a lot of projection, which is why I'm excited to see this race this weekend.
0: There you go. There you have it. When someone tells you what they're not, they're really telling you what, you, what they are. <laughs> oh my God. Everyone knows some of these congressmen, You know, those who cry the loudest about certain things. John, why do you hate your own? John's, you know, half-British has to dislike the British athlete. Just, it's really sad, John. You need to be uplifting these young stars as as, um, Gary Martin tells us. Mental health is important for this generation, John, and Kiwi's probably listening. I mean, all the stars listen to this podcast. Probably listening, just heard this, and you're just totally dismissing her chances. Do you, okay, okay, let's... This isn't a Friday 15, but let's go there. Do you think she can challenge a Thing Mo this weekend?
2: Yes, I think she can. I I would pick a Thing Mo, but what Hodgkinson just ran, I mean, Mo, Mo can't just show up and like take this thing for granted. Hodgkinson ran a negative split 158, so if she gets in a race with a Thing Mo, and they really go for it. They got the wavelength, or whatever. I could see her running 156 or 157, but I could also see a thing Mo doing that right now. So, I think, I think she can definitely give her a good race. I would not be totally shocked if she won, but I'm still picking Mo. Yeah, that's how I am.
0: I mean, without that 600 by a thing Mo at pin, I would really like her chances. But now, my like, oh, a thing might be just 100 percent ready and could still win this by 10 meters. But I'm giving her a decent chance. Wish there was wait, that's what we need. Somebody, Robert, didn't one of your guy used to work with work at one of these sports books or fanDuel before it was a sports book or something like that? Somebody get odds on these things. Anyone with one of the sports books, come on, partner with Let's Run. We'll get this out there. We'll tell everyone to sign up for your sports book. We need it this weekend. Betting on the pre classic. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to to bet on like third division soccer this weekend, people.
2: Oh, the, we got the pl- championship playoff final this weekend and the Champions League final. This is the this is the real problem. The Can y'all please final stop talking
1: be, about soccer? John gets talk, but, mad if I talk about trans or or, or or COVID. So please, no, it's really boring me.
2: No, Robert, this is a legitimate point here. The Champions League final is more watched than the Super Bowl. This is apart from the World Cup final. This is probably going to be the most sporting what most watched sporting event in the entire world this year, uh, and it's happening on the same day as the pre classic, and actually overlaps with it for a little bit. So. I'm just saying like all those people in Europe probably all going to be watching the pre-classic. I can't like, would you schedule something against the Super Bowl in America? No. So I just think internationally whole, it might be a kind of, of a problem. Kind
1: of stupid. Can someone explain that to me? Like, how does that work? Like, so we run a, we run a, a track meet on Wednesday. We lose that one, but we win the one on Saturday and we call ourselves the champions of Europe.
0: Well, i John, do you John sp- don't, don't even bother. Don't even bother explaining it to him. Carry on. We're not, we're not explaining this to you.
2: So Robert's acting like someone, did they not teach addition at Princeton, Robert? It's pretty simple. You just add up the scores and whoever has more goes through in the knockout stages. But maybe that's beyond you.
1: Well, I know, but we always say in track, oh, it's not going to matter. You can't have a regular season that matters. But here we are saying that the regular season matters. Even though you can lose one and win the other.
2: Well, there are multiple things that matter. Soccer actually kind of figured it out in a way that no American sport has where you can have something where the regular season means something and there's also a playoff system that means something. So some would say that's not good for it. But anyway, that's beside the point. I'm just saying it's kind of, I don't know, it's not ideal to have the biggest sporting event in the world going on at the same time as this track meet, but somehow we'll manage. What time is pre, John? Pre-Fontaine starts at, actually, let me check the schedule here. Oh, God, this is a disaster, Weldon. The pre, the Champions League final starts at 3, and the pre-classic starts at 4, Eastern time. So, it's going, they're going on they're completely overlapping. This is just this is a major problem if you're a big s- sports fan like you and I.
0: Well, I guess the good thing is a lot of people aren't soccer fans
1: in America. I don't know. Can't believe they're head-to-head. Well, speaking of the schedule, I noticed on the schedule that the Historically, I think that the Bowerman-Mile ends pretty classic but this year it's not the case. Bowerman-Mile is at 2.39 p.m. The men's 100, which was supposed to feature Marcel Jacobs, the Olympic champion, and virtually everybody else in the world, is ending the meet at 2.52. But now it came out yesterday that Jacobs is out of this meet. And do you think that they'll change the schedule as a result, John?
2: If you're a pre-classic organizer listening to this, I would urge you to do so. Because to me, with, without the Olympic champion in there, I know it's a good field, but I'm more intrigued by the Bowman mile or that women's 800. Uh, now we've, look, we've still got Ronnie. Here's the start list. Ronnie Baker, Kenny Bennerick, Marvin Bracey, Christian Coleman, Andre DeGrasse, Fred Curley, Arian Knighton, Noah Lyles. So Knighton, Coleman, DeGrasse is Olympic champ, Curley, Lyles, that's still a pretty great field. But if I was designing it from the start and you always end with the Bowman Mile, I don't, minus Jacobs, I would still keep it. I would put keep the mile as the lost event. But what, what do you guys think?
0: I think with the high schooler in there, they'll probably
1: keep it. You think they want to promote a, Ni- a non-Nike athlete? Robert, the pre-people,
0: Nike may pay the bills, but they don't work for them as a separate entity. I wish Trayvon Brabelle was in there. I'll say that much. I mean, obviously, I wish Marcel Jacobs was in there, but man, so I would need to know the history. Like, when was the last time the Bowerman mile was not last? If it's been this way, like, for 30 years, I think I would keep it. Otherwise, I'm fine with 100 being last. It's, it's better for TV. Come on. Let's not fool ourselves. People want to see the 100, put it last. Or put it at halftime of the soccer game.
2: <laughs> that might be the real solution for the international fans. But yeah, no, I just I it would be pretty cool. I hope that they're playing up the Arian Knight and sub ten angle. If it happens, they you know, he does like a victory lap with someone who wins who, who who wins or what guys, I don't think he's gonna win. I'd be shocked if he won, but he has run nineteen four nine this year. Do you give Arian Knight any chance of winning the men's hundred at Baum at the pre classic?
1: I was giving him some, but then I'm like, that would be absolutely foolish. I mean, he lost to, what was the guy's name, Blake?
2: Oh, th- who cares about that result, though? That was in a freaking windstorm in Bermuda. I am I'm ignoring the result of that race.
1: I have to give him some credit. 19.49, this may be the great If he wins this race, which I think is a possibility, unlikely because I think he's more of a 200. Didn't he run a pretty quick four? It's gonna we're gonna be thinking this was obvious. He's the greatest runner ever, he's better than bolt, etc. But one thing that annoyed me, I'm looking at here, is this Friday night pre classic stuff is all behind the paywall. So why can't USATF just make that part of your USATF membership and then get people to sign up? Instead, they're gonna make people in Europe sign up for Runner Space Plus.
0: Robert, it'll be three AM in Europe anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But I agree with Robert hundred percent. If somehow Knight wins this race, move over Usain Bolt. It's over. I mean, it, it, he will win the Worlds at probably 100 and 200 this year, and it's the greatest ever. Like, It'll be like, oh, everybody thought Bolt was just a 200-meter runner, and then they're like, oh, my God, he's actually the best 100-meter runner ever. So if somehow he, he he's th- that good of a 100-meter runner, like in the span of you know nine months he transformed himself this much, ball game over. But, guys, this is not the Friday 15. We're having a whole different podcast on Thursday to break down the pre-classic. But what a meet it's going to be.
2: Yeah, I know. We barely even talked about Nian Sabo versus Hassan or the world record attempts. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. In terms of action from this week, anything else you guys wanted to cover before we hit the Gary Martin interview?
1: I'd like to give a happy birthday shout-out to... Cade Flat, who turned 19 yesterday, Cade, if you are the greatest or ever, you kind of need to win the Olympic title this year, like I think Mo. Otherwise, you're not the greatest ever. I mean, I know that you would beat I Mo in an actual race, but you're not even Wait the greatest U.S. high school 800 star.
2: Cade Flatt's 19 too. This is just, again, he's legally allowed to compete. But him and Natalie Cook, they're a year older than. A lot of th- than these kids, they're racing. Like Cade Flat is the age of a typical high sc- uh, college freshman at this uh, right now. I, I didn't realize this, but it's true. There are plenty of co- high school, plenty of college freshmen out there who are younger than Cade Flat.
0: Well, he's born in May, John. What do you want him to be? The youngest in his class or the oldest? So,
2: <laughs> I'm not. I don't care. I don't. I don't know. I'm just saying. Like you guys, because you were born in July, and you guys were the oldest in your class, you you don't have it again, if you're born, if you're turning 19 in May of your senior year, you are one grade but be you're very old for your grade. You probably should be in the other grade. It's just we it's I didn't realize this. But it's interesting that the number of recent high school athletes who have been very these historic times who have been old for their grade. Cade Flatt, Natalie Cook, Noah Lyles, all of them were Old for that grade. I just I didn't realize this until now.
0: Well, there we go. I apologize to everyone who listened to the first part of the podcast where we praised Cade Flat. Just go back, re-listen to that, and remember he's 19, not 18. But he was 18 when he ran his time. So that would have been fine with John, but he's gotten. No, no,
2: it's not about 18. It's about turning 19 in your senior. If you're turning 19 in May of your senior year, I don't care if you're 18 in 360 days. It's not about 18 versus 19 if it's about where your birthday falls in the calendar. He's old for his grade. That's just what well, I think it's worth noting. I wish I had known it earlier, but it's still, it's still 146 for an 18 year old is still freaking ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, but it's just nice to know. I would have noted it somewhere in our coverage. I think we should have asked Gary Martin for his birthday. Oh, I just looked it up. 23rd, December 2003. So he turned 18 during the school year. He's in the correct grade.
0: Glad you approved, John. I mean, some states you can change your g- gender middle of the season, but if you're like three months old, look out, John. John's having nothing to do with it.
2: He's not three months, but he's, he's like he's like a year older than some of these people. I'm just saying, do you not think it's, it's probably an advantage, right? It does not hurt to be... Like, people get so mad about all the BYU kids, they're like, oh, they're in their seventh year or something. You would have to think a 19-year-old is more likely to be running fast than an 18-year-old in high school, right?
1: Well, last week I was wondering why would New Balance spend $100,000 a year giving Christian Noble a contract when he's older and slower than Drew Hunter? But then I realized over the over the weekend as well that Weldon Johnson, when he was 26 years of age, had like a 29-49, 10,000-meter PB. And then he ended up running twenty eight oh six, And there, there was no shoe technology invention. He dropped his PB in more than a half minute and a half at – between the ages of 26 and 28 so maybe there is some hope but i have some breaking news to report a source that is never wrong sent me his second tech i I revealed his gender his second text message during the same podcast recording
2: is anyone really shocked that robert's sources are male though I'm, i'm just gonna say i'm not so totally surprised
1: could be my Hillary Clinton speechwriting friend.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you already referred to her as your Hillary Clinton speechwriting I friend. I do know the no, I guess it could be. That would be the long con. There's
1: a Twitter message. We're proud to introduce Olympian NCAA champion and 2021 National Coach of the Year, Dwayne Ross, as our new director of track and field. Dwayne Ross, folks, has left North Carolina A&T, John. Where has he gone? John will be able to think about this if
2: he thinks about this. Well, this is so easy. What do you mean? Well, I'm just trying to think of what jobs just opened up. J- John, I-, I was just
0: thinking, you guys were talking about women. I'm like, we haven't talked about the big story in Let's Run this week.
2: Oh, Tennessee.
1: That is correct, folks. In case you didn't know, last week, in the middle of the week, even though I think their men's team was third in the nation indoors, Tennessee replaced director of track and field, Beth Alfred Sullivan. Huge discussion throughout about her departure on let's run, whether she was good for the sport, whether she did a good job at Tennessee, whether there's sexism in the sport, because if you're really tough and cutthroat as a man, that's expected of it to you. If you do it as a woman, you're viewed as a B-I-T-C-H, et etc. But anyway, she was removed. And now they've got a new coach, Dwayne Ross. The NCA and T coach will be going there.
0: Like right now, mid-season? Or is he going to finish out the season? Like with his son and whatnot.
2: I would have to think they let him finish up regionals and nationals at North Carolina and T this year, right?
0: Does it help that much for, I guess, recruiting to keep people from transferring? You need to announce it? Sort of fascinating.
1: Reading from the press release, folks, in addition to building on his track and field coaching staff, Ross will work closely with Athletic Director White to aggressively canvass the worldwide track community for an elite distance coach to oversee Tennessee's cross-country program.
2: Robert (sighs) Johnson is available. Robert, are you going to reach out to them? Because I know they don't always come calling for you these days. You've been out of the game for a while. Would you move to Tennessee and take over the distance program if they give you a full set of scholarships?
1: UT, and orange and white has always been part of my heart. But that's the University of Texas. Mr. Athletic Director, if you want to hire somebody, I've got a good solution for you. If you don't hire me, I'd rather be a pro coach. And I'm not sure why Hoka didn't go for me. And I'm not sure why Hoka didn't go for this guy last week. Maybe he doesn't want to coach the the marathon. He's already in the SEC. He's already got a track record. His name? Ryan Van Hoy.
2: Wow, and the Tennessee Athletic Director's name is Danny White. Not the former Cowboys quarterback, but a little interesting connection there. Alright. Is that it for this week, guys? I guess
0: we're not gonna discuss the thread that's super hot on Let's Run right now. Have you guys seen this at Tuesday at nearly 2 p.m.?
2: Yeah, I forgot how much people love Tier. There was a thread. I mean, he Tier, he posted this funny Instagram. Uh, picture of him and Jakob Ingebrigtsen at the 2018 World Under 20 Championships in Finland. And in the caption, he wrote, many people may not know, including him, but Jakob and I have been rivals for years. and This Saturday, we face off at the pre-classic in the Bound of Mile. I, th- I mean, clearly, that's very much tongue-in-cheek. He said, even Jakob doesn't know we're rivals. Do- Please don't tell me there are people on here who think this is counts as him calling out Jakob Ingebrigson or something like that
0: well the thread is titled Jakob and I have been rivals for years quote unquote unquote, Cooper tier that's it obviously tongue in cheek it's linked to embedded right there yet somehow we have like 80 posts discussing this so Cooper great post by the way very clever very funny and maybe that's why he's so popular
2: you gotta oh, wait, be fast no, too, so. He, here I, I see why people are getting into this because I just looked at the, I'm not an Instagram, like, fiend, so I didn't look at the comments because we've got a lot of interesting comments here. Paul Chalimo says, Cooper will tear him. Let the rivalry begin. Then Jakob actually responded. He said, I wouldn't call this race a rivalry. Uh, Smile with a sweat emoji, but looking forward to pre. So he I think he kind of knew it was a joke as well. But, you know, he responded, which I thought was interesting. Cole Hawker weighs in. He says, it's on. And then Rachel MacArthur, who is Kupatia's girlfriend, she said, not a time trial, question mark. What is everyone going to have to talk bad about now? So they know that there's criticism out there that they sort of run all these time trial meets and on on the big ones. This is his Diamond League debut. So I I enjoy reading those comments and it should be a fun race.
1: I'm glad that these guys are getting excited for pre because I'm excited to to head out there. But we didn't really talk about this Beth Alfred Sullivan firing. I don't know enough about the team, whether it actually was getting – I mean, the men did pretty well. But my thoughts on it generally as a former college coach are two things, very simple. One, if the AD ever leaves and hires you, you better watch out for your job, whether you're doing a really good job or not because ADs like to make – flashes and act like they're new people in making their big difference um so that could have played a role and two i do think what she did when she came in and just cut everyone on the team and made them leave and not honor their scholarships was wrong immoral and created a lot of bad will in the running community
0: but but that had nothing to do with her dismissal and it sounds to me like her contract was up right I think I saw that in a thread. I know very little more than that, than what just publicly came out that Dwayne Ross has been hired. Shows there's redemption. He served a drug suspension, correct? So I applaud people for being given a second chance because I, I think a sport needs to have a reckoning of what happened in the past. And I want more people to be willing to say, yeah, I use drugs and you can still get hired to be a coach. He's doing
1: a great job at North Carolina a and But was there a reckoning, though? You always get on Justin Gatlin, for never talking about his past. Has Dwayne Ross told us what happened?
0: I Robert, but has anyone asked him? I'm just saying it's public that he's out there and, he, and he's getting jobs, so I'm fine with that. But if the contract is up, she's going to be let go, maybe for recruiting these days to the transfer portal. I, I assume Dwayne Ross wasn't hired today. This whole thing was set in motion, and then they're like, okay, we've we got to speed up the announcement. Beth, you're gone now, actually, that sort of thing. I bet, I wonder if that's how it actually happened, just for recruiting purposes. But that's no insider info, just kind of logical timeline events. All right, guys. Great talk with Gary Martin, 30 Minutes of Highlights. If you want the full thing and become a Supporters Club member, jo- join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe.
1: And if you want to get as fast as Gary Martin, join our summer coaching plan. Let's run.com slash coaching.
0: All right. Here he is. The one and only, the only guy besides the great Jim Ryan to go sub four in a high school mile without a rabbit. And He did it faster than Jim Ryan. Gary Martin.
2: Welcome to a special edition of the let's com track talk podcast. This is Jonathan Gold. I'll be joined by Robert Johnson, my co-host, in a minute. But it's special because we've got a special guest, Gary Martin. Now, indoors, he's a high school athlete. He won the mile at the New Balance Nationals back in March in 4.02.34. But what he's most famous for at this point, on May 14th at the Philadelphia Catholic League Championships, he ran 3.57.98. So you break four minutes in the mile, the 14th high schooler ever to do it, the fourth fastest high school miler of all time, and he's the fastest to ever do it without pacemakers in a high school only race. The last person to do that, Jim Ryan back in 1965. So very elite company. He is committed to run at the University of Virginia this fall, and we are very happy to welcome him on as a guest on the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Gary, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Now, I want to start with the race. I'm sure you've given a bunch of interviews about it, but it's, it was one of the coolest things we've seen all year on Let'sRun.com, just going out at your high school conference meet, no paces, going for the record. And you shared this really cool text exchange with your coach, Paul Stralekas, a few days before the race, and you said, am I crazy for thinking about trying to break four at PCL Champs if the weather is good? since the mile is first. And we know that is what ended up happening, but I'm curious, like, what happened in the days in between that, and when did you make the decision that going for sub four in that race was something you really wanted to do?
3: That was a text I sent. I think it was, I want to say Wednesday morning, and the wheels started to turn probably Tuesday night because I had just got done a workout, a tempo workout, and it was one of the best workouts I've had all year, probably one of the best of my life, and I just... I felt really strong and I might not, I don't know what an average tempo run is for someone my age or capability. So I don't know how impressive it is, but for me it was very impressive because I haven't always been the best at tempos, but it was a, a three mile tempo in, I think 1430 and then 10 minute jog and then a two mile tempo in like 945, which that was for where, where I'm at and like my, what I've done in past tempos, that was a big deal for me. And I felt, I felt super strong. And the guy I did the tempo with Paul Matuzak, he was, he had actually pointed out like, hey, the weather's going to look nice on Saturday. Any chance you're thinking about going for sub four? And my first response was, no, I don't I don't think so. I'm just going to go out and try to score points for the team. But then after that workout, the more I thought about it, I was like, hey, I, I really think I'm in shape to do it. This is probably the last real chance before states. So maybe I just float the idea out there, see what my coach thinks, and maybe I'll go for it. So like, I, I sent that text the next morning. <laughs>
2: But you said we'll see how the weather is on race day. Like, did you have to wait until Saturday morning where you say, Oh, okay, it's gonna be the day, like I'm definitely gonna go for it. Was there a final point where you're like fully committed to the plan?
3: Yeah, I I was fully committed Saturday morning, honestly. I mean, I I had thought I was gonna go for it, but I think part of my idea going into it was just like keep it low pressure on myself, both from external pressure and internal pressure. So like don't don't put all this pressure on myself. We're like, Hey, this is like, this is a huge race. I've got to break four. just kind of just go through my normal routine, live my life normally. Like I don't like sometimes before big races, like I'll stress out a ton and like, I'll like follow this whole big routine. But I was just like, I'm just going to go to school that day. I'm going to come home. I went to another school event that night, came home, ate dinner. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything crazy. I just told myself I was, I was going to figure it out the next morning and worry about it then. So I didn't really give much thought to it until the morning of.
2: And we, we saw on Twitter, I think you shared the last, you know, most of the last lap. And one of the things Robert and I, when we were watching the race, we couldn't figure out where the clock was. Was there a clock on the infield? Was there a scoreboard or was there no clock at all? There was no clock at all. <laughs> so are you getting splits? Like, do you know if you're on pace or not?
3: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I had the one split I was getting was at the at the start finish line where there was a I think the St. Joe's prep coach was doing kind of like a form of announcing, and he was calling out splits. So I came through 400. I heard him yell 58, came through 800, heard him yell 157 or 158. I forget what he yelled, but because, you know, with the extra nine meters, whatever. So I was getting splits from him, and then my coach, Coach Paul, was at the 200-meter mark yelling splits to me. So there was no clock. I was just kind
2: of listening as I went along. So when you're coming down the home street, are you thinking... I'm probably going to get it. Or do you have any idea how fast you're running at that point? Is this for the last lap, you mean? Yeah, like the, the last 100 meters. Like normally, if you're chasing that, you could maybe see like, oh, it says 354, or 355, I'm going to get there. But without a clock, do you know how close you are to the barrier? I
3: didn't know how close I was. But if I'm being honest, I, this might not to sound cocky, but I, I, think I, I think I knew I had it at about a thousand meters because any other like when I ran four flat, when I ran 401, I came through a thousand in, I, I want to say either two thirty 230 or two thirty one, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to kick. Let's see if I can do it. Where, for the um for the three fifty seven, I came through in two twenty seven, and I'm like, I feel just as good now as I did in the other two miles, so I know I have at least a sixty second last lap of me. So, at that point, I was like, I, I'm pretty confident I have this wrapped up, but let's let's finish strong. Let's go as far under as possible, and let's see what I can run.
2: Yeah, well, you went uh, a couple seconds under three fifty seven ninety eight, so you uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, definitely very quick time. Number four, all time in high school is. But did you did you run other events? This is your conference meet. they probably you're mm-hmm. one of the top athletes. that counting on you to score points. Like, are you able to say, "Oh, now nah, I'm going to skip the four by four. I'm tired." Or are you running the four by four and doubling back?
3: No, I ran it. It's it's funny because again, before I had this mile plan locked in, I actually did some fighting with my coach where. I wanted to run the the mile, the 32, the 8, and the 4x4. Four four. And he, he wasn't thrilled about that idea because the 32 was like 10 minutes before the 4x4. Four four, and he thought he didn't want me to kill myself trying to do all these events. So, but I wanted to, it's, it's funny because there's there's one team in our conference style that's always the powerhouse every year. And we kind of expected they'd win. So we weren't worried about first, but we have a good team this year. We thought we might be able to get second. So I was like, let me run as many events as possible, try to score 40 points for our team and maybe we can squeeze in into second. But the week leading up to it, we had a couple guys banged up who would have scored us points. So they were missing a little bit and we kind of started to realize maybe second wasn't as realistic. So I'm like, all right, I'll back off it a little bit, but I still ended up running the mile, the 800 and the four x four.
2: Oh, wow. And how, so what'd you split on the four
3: x four? It's funny. So I went into it and I, I felt really terrible. Like I was like, I'm going to be lucky to split a 51. I don't, I didn't feel great. And I ended up running the the best four x four split in my life around 49, one. Oh wow, that's and it was it was disappointing though because we ran. I think our team finished in three twenty five point eight seven zero six, and the winning team was three twenty five point eight seven zero four. So it was two ten thousandths of a second. It was like a photo finish. We didn't know who won at the end. It was like a lean at the line, and I, I just lost it. But it was it was a I I gained us a spot. We were we I got the baton in third, and I brought us up to second. So it was it was a good leg, but I was disappointed with the finish. <laughs> so you were the anchor, though. Yeah, I was the anchor.
2: Yeah. Wow, so it's interesting. When I was, you know, I was in high school, maybe you know, thirteen years ago or something. The four by four was something we'd always try to get out of. If I had run events (laughs) earlier in the meet, is it is it that way on your team, or like we you you were definitely were you eager to run the four by four to score these points?
3: It was a mix of both. I mean, it's funny now because I didn't. It didn't feel this way when I got into track, but the four hundred just feels fun now because it's like, all right, I don't have to run four laps. I only have to run one. Like, let's do this. Let's get out of the way. But when you're coming off of a triple and it's the last last leg of the meet, it's definitely like it's it's a mixture because we have a good four by four this team this year. So I'm I'm enjoying running it with this team and really putting down some fast times and climbing our school record books, but at the same time it's kinda like, hey, third event of the day, I'm really feeling it in the legs. So let's just let's get it over with pretty much.
2: Yeah. Well you, you may be the first person in history to run a sub four mile and then come back and run the four by four later in the meet. We'll have to check the stats That's on that cool. one. Um <laughs> How do you celebrate that night? What did you do to celebrate the 357? It's funny because this was, this is one of the craziest days of my life, honestly, because you know, my
3: phone died right after. So my phone was blown up. I didn't really get to check text message from congratulations and stuff. And then right after, like I, it would, it would have been nice to kind of sit down and kind of take it all in, but I actually ended up driving, driving home and then literally getting changed. and right back, right back out to my school for our it's our school Viking Thon, which I don't know, it's it's popular Penn State, the Thon fundraiser. It's a fundraiser for childhood cancer. So I went to that and I was at my school until about 10 30 that night, just kind of hanging out with friends, playing some basketball and cornhole and stuff.
2: So did ever did everyone know that you'd break broken four and they understood the significance?
3: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's especially like a lot of my classmates and friends, like they knew I was knocking on the door. In the past couple races it was kinda like, Hey, you gonna get it? and it was it was a big deal when I got it, so it was cool to to walk in and have all the support from my friends and classmates.
1: Hey Gary, let me jump in here. Hopefully my mic's not working. I think that one of the things that's ca- ca- captured everyone's imagination is just how you've done it as a normal high schooler. You ran pen relays, you went to prom, you know, you come back, you you, you run sub four, you go to the, the fundraiser, and whereas other kids are going to altitude. Newberry Park is probably the greatest cross country team ever, but a couple of the kids aren't even running the state meet. So what made you do it sort of the old fashioned way, if anything? Like like did you ever think of going out on your own and sort of you know, not doing as part of the team or
3: I mean, it's definitely something I thought about, especially as like I think when I when I first started to commit myself to the sport, probably uh i would say even summer of 2020 like when i realized i had potential but i wasn't quite there yet like like i would i got a little like i'll admit it i got too caught up in stuff on the internet like going online and reading like this guy has this trainer and he's running this many miles and maybe i'm not running as many miles as him so maybe i should be running more and maybe i should be going out and getting my own coach and like personal trainer and like is there like maybe it's necessary but the more i the more i continued to train and like just do my own thing i started to realize that what I was doing was working and training comes in different, like successful training comes in different forms for everyone. So if what you're doing is working, just, you should probably stick with it. And I was lucky enough to have a support base from my family and my coach at my high school, coach Paul. And it, like I said, his training was working for me. So I started to realize that, Hey, I'm getting better. There's no need to go out and get my own coach. And I don't have anything. I don't have anything against it. Like I know other high schools aren't afforded the same opportunities and aren't as lucky as have such a great coach at their school. So I know some kids have to go out and get their own coaching, but I think there's something to be said about just kind of, if something's working, sticking with it. Like I think a lot of kids maybe can get caught up in the noise on social media and what's going on online and seeing all these top runners doing all this crazy training and stuff and want to emulate it. But really if what you're doing is working, just stick with it is my thoughts on it.
1: And what would you say like, what are the key aspects of your training? What's your mileage like these days? What are your favorite workouts? What are your strengths in workouts? and workouts and maybe what are your weaknesses?
3: So my mileage is this year it's pretty consistently been in the forties at um touching low fifties. I mean, the past couple of weeks I'm in a little bit of a build phase. So I've been I've been uh low fifties the past two weeks and then this week I'll probably be down a little bit just because it's been it's been a lot of racing between PCLs and then even though it was just qualifying, I had districts the past two days. So I'm feeling a little banged up. So I'm probably going to be low 40s this week. So track season, I usually, it's very fluid, honestly. My coach, he trusts me enough and I trust him enough where if I feel like I need a day off, I take a day off. Like it's a flexible schedule. And some weeks, some weeks I'll be high 20s in the miles. Some weeks I'll be high 50s. But and when I say high 50s, there's, it's not that often. It's usually if I'm really in a build phase, but I usually do settle in, in the 40 the 40 mile range.
2: And what kind of workouts do you like to do? Do you have a favorite?
3: Uh, it's funny because I think my favorite my favorite workout was always like intervals, like 400s, 800s, even 300s, stuff like that. And 300s are a staple of like 300s, 150s are a good staple of our workouts just to work on that like mile race pace or 300s at least, like 300s at 44, 45, just kind of cranking those out. 150s at faster, like 150s at 18 to 19 seconds just throw those in at the end of a workout or if I'm having a little bit of a lighter workout just do those and get some speed work in but i also like the sort of like tempo pace intervals like we'll do a michigan workout or a variation of that every now and then and tempo workouts in general actually they up until this year i'd say they were my least favorite workout because i was i was not good at them but it's funny because i've seen such a huge improvement from like this time last year to now in how i'm able to do a tempo runs and I've seen a, obviously such a big improvement in my fitness, racing the mile and stuff as well. That I think it's turned into one of my favorite workouts.
2: I was reading. There's a good profile on you last year by Dave Devine of Die and he mentioned that you guys, your team, works out on a cinder track at a local middle school. Is that still the case, or do you guys have a track now?
3: It is. We do not have a track. We our workout. A lot of our workouts are on the cinder track at the local middle school. So we make we make the mile run over, and we'll do some type of interval it's it's hard to go fast there so if we're doing like if we're doing like hard 200s or 150s or something we do it we do them there sometimes but sometimes we'll also try to get out to like a local track in the area like upper Moreland high school or a middle school that has a track but if we're doing like tempo pace stuff or like 800 or 400 intervals where it's just kind of like getting into a rhythm we do a lot of that there
2: can you describe what it's like to run on a cinder track because i imagine most people your age are just used to uh, you know a normal synthetic one how does it compare it's not fun i mean it's funny because i'm i'm definitely not a fan of it
3: i mean it's like it's it's funny cuz i i say i'm not a fan of it but in in the same in a different sense i kind of am a fan of it because you feel like you're running really slow and it's not it's not enjoyable for doing like hard workouts but I feel like it only makes you run faster when you get on an actual track because it, it almost feels like you're running in sand in a certain sense, especially the one we run on, like the cinders are, it's not super compact, like it's a lot of loose cinders. So it's kind of hard to get a good grip. So you don't feel like you're running that fast. But if you are hitting, it's one of those things where like, if you're given a pace and you are hitting the pace there, then you really feel good about it because it's not easy to.
2: So do you have a conversion? Like, is it a second a lap you think or more or less? What do you think?
3: We don't have a we don't have an exact conversion but my coach is usually able to tell based off effort like i'd say it's maybe a second or two uh, of lap or lap and it's it's tough because the track we're at too is also a little overgrown so it's we're, we're never sure we think that I, I think the track might be a little more than 400 meters we've measured it out before usually depending on how well it's cut it's usually a little more than 400 so it's hard to tell exactly so it's usually a second or two extra
1: that gets us to the Jim Ryan I mean if you add 0 point3 of a second you're basically 3583 I think which is what Jim Ryan famously ran at the Kansas State meet when I mean, there's this amazing photo I don't know if you've seen it of the people jumping up at the finish line it's one of the best track and field photos
3: I've seen it yeah that's it's a very cool photo
1: it got us to thinking like how familiar are you were you with Jim Ryan I mean does did you even know have you did you know who Jim Ryan is have you have you heard about him have you had any contact with him anything like that
3: no, I definitely have. I mean, it's obviously three years ago, I didn't know much about distance running. And as I've started to learn more about it, my coach is always telling me legends of distance runners. He, he constantly tells me the story about how Jim Ryan was voted the ESPN's high school athlete of the year, or I, f- I forget what, what the exact stat was, but it was like the best high school athlete of all time. And he like won it over, I think, LeBron James or something. My, my coach loves to pull out that stat. And I've heard a lot about Jim Ryan. I actually I got to talk to him before Penn relays, which was very cool. He gave me some words of advice before there, and that was that was a good nice conversation. And it's been cool to it was cool to cool to have contact with him. And it's been incredible to be mentioned alongside him in some of these leader leaderboards and statistics.
2: So do you follow the current sport as well? Like do you have athletes you're a fan of or things that excite you about like pro running or college running?
3: I do. I mean, I, I'm relatively, like I said, I'm relatively new to the sport, but I'm definitely, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but I am I digest as much track as possible. I'm definitely a big-time fan now, especially distance running, and I follow pretty heavily. So I think, I don't know if there's any athletes like I'm specifically a huge fan of, I mean, except for, like, I follow the University of Virginia team pretty heavily. I'm always watching the meets following results. I could probably spit out PRs if you wanted me to, and just – really some of the guys in the NCAA like that, um, I like to follow like the top guys and it's been fun to see the improvement in American distance running the past couple of years.
2: And do you, like, h- I guess, have you reached this point where you start, looking at, you start looking at these guys as like, oh, you know, these are the top guys in the sport and the you know, sort of up on a pedestal versus guys you might be racing in a year or two. You run 357, that's... you know, you're going, going into the NCAA that's going to be one of the top times. Like, Do you start? What have you started thinking of these guys as like people you might be actually lining up against a year or two down the road, or even you know later this year? You just committed to the the festival of miles, I believe.
3: Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think I have yet. Honestly, it's kind of. It's. I feel like I'm still processing that, and it's kind of crazy to me because, I mean, one example was I remember going to the Milrose Games when I ran in the Michael Blum Men's Mile, and even that, like, it was like, like obviously I knew. I went into the race ticket. I compete with all these guys, but just being in like the pro athlete warm up area and like seeing Cooper tier and Cole Hawker, like it was a, it was an awesome experience, but a weird experience. Like I was kind of like, Whoa, like it was kind of a, a big step up from my normal meet, And I wasn't really, I wasn't used to just being in that position yet. So I think it'll come with time and more racing experience. I'll get used to thinking of myself racing against those guys. And I have all the confidence in the world right now, like, especially after, that 357 mile, I have no doubt in my mind I can line up with pro guys and beat them and run really fast. But I think it'll take some time for me to actually see myself up there with the top names.
1: So do you have a, a schedule for the rest of the year? I mean, you've got the state meet coming up. So what events will you be running at Pennsylvania State? And then what 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 do you have on tap right now scheduled after that?
3: Uh, I'll be running this, this. It's a two-day meet. So I'm running the 1600 on Friday at PA State's and then the 800 and the 4x800 on Saturday, and then after that, I'm going down to the Hoka Festival of Miles on I think it's I want to say it's Thursday, June 4th. I forget the exact date. I think that's it. And then I'm planning on doing Brooks and New Balance Outdoor Nationals.
1: Do you have a goal? I mean, obviously winning the state meet and stuff like that, and and but. The natural thing is, I mean, there's a 353 Allen Webb record. Is that a big priority for you? A showdown with Colin Solomon, who's also broken four this year? Like, what is the number one priority?
3: It's it's funny because, I mean, all those, like, you mentioned those two things, like running against someone like Colin Solomon or going after the 353. And obviously, like, that'd be great. Like, if the opportunity comes up, I'd love to either race Colin or go after that mile. But at the same time, I'm, I feel like I've learned the past month especially the past two months or so not to get caught up on one specific large goal and to really just go forward with training let the training run its course and then let the performances speak for themselves so i think that's kind of what i'm going to keep doing i have a lot of confidence in myself right now i think i can throw down a lot faster of a mile than i've already run but i'm not going to stress too much about going about any one specific goal or record and i'm just going to keep getting better keep racing keep racing keep getting prs and hopefully get some PRs across multiple events.
1: Well, I think it's great that you're so into the team. I, I think that, you know, it's just, w- we always say that the co- you're, you're going to be in college, you know, next year, and the college cross-country team, that you can't replace that as a professional. Like, so many people mm-hmm. are, are missing out on that experience. But it's curious, we're, we were curious, you know, doing some research for this, like, why you chose the University of Virginia. I mean, ben and Nana it's sort of a legend in collegiate coaching, but John's got this stat. When he was last winning at the University of Oregon, you were in second grade and eight years old. So the fact that he won at Oregon and then won at Stanford and way back at the day won at Dartmouth, Dartmouth, which is where Jonathan went to school, uh, that may not mean a lot to you. So how did you get into contact with UVA and what made you choose to, to, to run for them next year?
3: Yeah, I mean, I got into contact them with them around, I think, around May of last season. They had some coaching turnover. They hired, they had just hired Coach Dunbar, Coach Trevor Dunbar, and he had reached out to me. And I started talking to them. And like I said, it was actually a little later in my recruiting cycle. So it goes to show that just just because the school reaches out early doesn't mean they're going to have success recruiting someone. Because Virginia was one of the last ones that reached out to me. But like you said, I mean, from a quick research dive, looking at Vin Lanana's records and. His performance at other schools with the... I, I, think he has, I think he has over 10 national titles. I forget the exact number, but he's got a lot of national titles. He's coached Olympians. He knows how to win. It's incredibly successful. But I think what was big for me was really just getting to know the team and the coaches and the people I'd be around. Because it's, it's easy to look at the numbers and see the success there. But when you really get to talk to them, you kind of realize what goes into it. Because, I mean, Vin was a great guy. I really felt like... He, The way he, I liked the way he recruited. He wasn't, it wasn't super high amount of pressure. It was just kind of getting to know me and talking about what he thought our relationship would be and what he could do for me. And when I visited, I felt the same way. I met the kids on the team and it was just, it felt like a really great fit. And I felt like I could have a relationship with them where I'd enjoy seeing myself on that team for four years. And same thing with Coach Dunbar. He was, he's been a professional athlete, which is cool. He knows how to do it and he knows what it takes to be on a winning team. But He's really just a great guy and I felt comfortable being coached by him.
2: I wanted to ask about the glasses because you don't mm-hmm. see a lot of elite athletes racing in glasses. I know Mexico had a good 800 guy last year, Tonatillo Lopez. He ran in glasses, but it, I think a lot of athletes, you know, who need them just wear contacts. So, why do you race in glasses and have you always done it this way?
3: Well, I I wear I'll start off by saying that I wear glasses all the time because I think when I was a freshman in high school, I, I went to get contacts, and they they do the thing where they put them in your eye for you, and then you're supposed to take them out, but for whatever reason, I do not like touching my eye. I had trouble getting them out, so we decided it probably wouldn't work, so I've been wearing glasses, and I haven't always raced with them. I actually, my freshman year, when I first started running, I, I didn't wear them. I just wore, I didn't have any glasses. I just didn't wear anything, and then there was a situation where we were at the Penn relays actually, and there was like 12 teams in our heat and five of them had black jerseys. And it's so crowded with handoffs there that I realized I wouldn't be able to see who to get the handoff from without my glasses. So I made a last second decision to wear them there. And that was kind of the race where I realized like, Hey, they didn't fall off. It was fine. Like it worked out. I could probably wear them for the rest of my races. And I did for the rest of that freshman track season. And then I started wearing them across country because I would have the similar issue where I wouldn't be able to see like sticks and rocks and stuff on some of our courses and I would have tripped. So I had to wear them then. It's something I never really thought about, but now I feel like as I'm, as I'm getting more attention in the running world, it's kind of become like part of my, part of my identity, which I kind of like to lean into it. It's, it's cool. I mean, I like, it's crazy to me that I get like this notoriety for being the runner with glasses, but it's really cool.
2: Well, no, I think it helps with people, you know, it's an identifying characteristic like Craig, Craig Engels, you know, he's the guy the with the mullet. mustache and the mullet and all that sort of thing. And people you see, Oh, it's Gary Martin. And I mean, I, yeah, I'm glad that you're, uh, you're able to lean into it and you know, it's it just, yeah, that that's, that's a good approach to it. I think.
3: Yeah, no, I, and it's definitely like, it's funny. Cause there's people who like, I, like I've been called, like I've seen stuff like the nerd, like the nerd runner or stuff like that, which I think is funny. Like it's, it's, it's hard to get to me. So anytime I either if I get made fun of or like, there's obviously nice comments too, but even like the stuff that it's people like joking about it, I, I think it's funny and it's, I'll, t- I'll take whatever attention I can get for it. So it's, it's pretty funny to me.
2: Cool. Robert, I think that's, you know, that's everything I wanted to ask. Anything, any other final questions you have for Gary before we let him go?
1: No. unless there's Gary, is there anything we haven't gotten out of you that you want to share with the world?
3: I don't think so. I mean, not too much. I mean, it just, I mean, I'll, I'll just say thank you to everyone for the support recently. It's been crazy to see all the support online and on, on less run and stuff from people I know on the message boards. I don't, I don't read them that often, but I've seen some stuff and it's cool to see support and I appreciate everything. So thank you for having me on too.
1: I'm glad you're enjoying the attention. I mean, there's going to be a few. We, we spent a lot of resources recently trying to moderate better, particularly the high school threats. But with you, it's almost universally positive. <laughs> like, how could people not love this story? Um, you know, there's so many fast kids. It, it, it is kind of weird how you're getting all of a sudden. You were four, and you're getting so much more attention. But even though you were knocking on the door, and that's what I noticed is when you ran that four five point nine five, I was like, "Wow, this is pretty impressive." And so I was watching Pan. It looked pretty windy to me. So, and i'm obsessed with the weather so i was like wow he could do it but the, the, the beauty of the support was no one knew it was happening it was such a surprise
3: yeah i kind of i like that aspect of it and it's it's funny because i think the wind definitely played an aspect of penn relays i mean i i don't it was a combination of that and i didn't feel as strong in the last lap or so as i did when i broke four but it's funny because going into penn relays my coach sent me a text i think about three days out about it was we were talking about race predictions and what we thought the strategy should be and what we thought i could run and his prediction was 3:57 high on my best day, which pen relays it didn't happen. But then two weeks later, we come back and hey, what do I run? He's right on. He knows you well. He does.
1: Well, I did think of, of another question along those lines. So everything I've seen, you've run pretty even, evenly paced. Yeah, almost every lap is the same. Like, what's the biggest you've ever thrown down on the last 400? Because if you get in one of these championship style races maybe with a Sullivan, it might be a big last lap. So have you ever run a, a mile with a big last lap?
3: So, I mean, it's it's funny because I've definitely, I've heard that like from from some people in the sport where maybe it's this thing where can, does does he have this kick where if he gets in a hot race, will he be able to kick and hang with these guys? And I think obviously, even for me, it's yet to be seen. I haven't, I'll be honest. I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I've been in a big race where I've gone and thrown down a 55 or something for the last lap. But what I can say I have done is I'll just put the numbers out there. New Balance Indoor Nationals, when I ran 402, I closed in 57.4, which I were at around there, 57 point, which was a pretty good kick for me. And then I ran my district meet. It was a little bit, it wasn't a super hard effort, but the strategy at my district meet on Wednesday was just run 64s and then close for the last lap. And I closed that in, I think, 55.02. So again, it's obviously, it's, Way different running 60s and then throwing down a hard last lap than is running 64s and throwing down a less hard last lap. But I've run, I've run 49.4 400. I've run 149 for 800. I know I have the leg speed. I think, I think in the right race with adrenaline, having competition, I can throw down a kick. Because another, another thing I will mention too is the even splits. I think it's I like I prefer running even splits when I'm alone and solo because it's easier for me to find my pace early on and settle into that rhythm rather than go a little slower and then get the adrenaline on by my own. like it's It can be hard to, it's something I'd like to work on, but it can be hard to gather that really adrenaline and momentum for a last kick when you're by yourself, where if I know I'm in shape, I just like to settle into that rhythm early and find that pace and run it when I'm solo. But like I said, I know this is a, a really long-winded answer to the question, but I think in the right race, hopefully I can throw down a fast kick 55, 56, because I've done it in some slower races, and I know I have the speed for it.
1: But we can't wait for the rest of the season. It's going to be fun to see what you do at the state meet and then in some of these races where you're not doing all the work. You can just sit in the pack and let them rabbit it for you and just chase it fast time and compete. So best of luck to you.
2: Thank you. All right. Well, enjoy Senior Spring. It's one of the best times in your life, you know, hanging out with friends and graduating. you got a bunch of fun races lined up. So uh, enjoy all of it. And thanks again for coming on the podcast today, Gary. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: For the full talk with Gary, including his revamp of the Philadelphia 76 years, a little more on his recruiting process, become a supporters club member. Let's slash subscribe.